This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we have a a particularly long episode. (laughs) This is going to be a real Uh, mouthful. uh, Well, a long episode, not a long episode, hopefully not a long episode. I don't know. But a long episode title. (laughs) Today's episode is Non-Milano Pepperidge Farm Cookies. And this was suggested by listener Leong. Thank you, listener Leong. And uh, yeah, I think it is going to be a long episode. I think this is going to be a four-hour episode. Oh, I can't wait. Buckle up. Um, What better way to spend your whole month of August? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Um, This episode comes out August 11th, and if you start listening to it when it comes out, you'll be done by the end of the month. I recently finished reading, I think I may have mentioned before, that I had been reading a collection of interviews with George Harrison. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I had checked it out from the library on the Libby app. So I I was reading it as like an ebook. And it's 1,080 pages long. Wow. I mean, at least on my e-reader. Yeah. Anyway, you know how when you finish a book... Wasn't he the quiet beetle? (laughs) Well, he, you know... He was he was an actively quiet beetle for for decades. Yeah, and so even even over that time, just little dribbles of words came out. Okay, and, just, and were captured in this book. Yes, okay. exactly. It was full of dribbles. Okay. The best part is toward the end when I was just kind of you know looking at all the like back end stuff on an e reader, like it tells you how long it's taken you to read oh, it sure. or whatever. I love looking at back end stuff. Um, it said something like you know. Uh, this book has taken you like 10 hours and 20 minutes or something. And it said, you know, you have, uh, we estimate that if you read it now, it'll take one more minute. Like I think I needed to read the acknowledgements or something. And it said, but at the rate you've been going, it could take you another week. Like, I mean, because it had taken me, guys, it had taken me 12 weeks to get through this book. Sure. So the e-reader was like, well, for most people, it would take one minute. But for you, this might take a week. Hey, dumbass. Yeah. Anyway, but I did it. I mean, I skimmed a lot of it. Let's be fair. Did you but, see this thing? Um, I was going to say maybe your e-reader became sentient and annoying. Uh, did you see this this thing about the uh, Google employee who believed that their AI bot became sentient? No. Oh, this is really funny. It's uh, it's like a chat bot 
and uh, like, you know, that's that's designed to like spit back text, like based on stuff you said and stuff from a corpus that's that it's ingested. And it's basically did you ever play with Eliza when you were younger? It's uh, which was the, like the original chat bot. Um, anyway, when you look at like the the guy got scared that the AI had become sentient and like went around telling people this and was suspended from his job for being dumb. Um, and if you look at the transcript, it is just like like a uh, chatbot that spits stuff back at you from like the eighties. I don't even I know what a chatbot is. A chatbot is. Have you ever like done chat support? Yes. Um. So ch- a chatbot is when you do chat support and you're not talking to a person. You're talking to a computer that's designed to like help figure out what your problem is. And so see AI it, and see if you need to get to a person. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So anyway, I thought this was funny and I told the story really well. You sure did. I am. <laughs> we can cut I'm, this all out. I'm rolling on the floor laughing. As the the acronym goes, yeah, okay, yeah, I, th- I think the chatbot used that acronym, <laughs> and that's when that's when the Google guy who was like, "Whoa, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Matthew, have you considered the fact that I may be a chatbot?" <laughs> that oh, that's a good point. Oh wow, uh, I think you just blew my mind. You're fired. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I was, you know, because you were starting to believe in me. I know. So I fired you. <laughs> that's right. Yes, that's right. You don't want anyone to believe in you. No. I, yeah, I have no faith in you whatsoever. Okay. 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 All right. Go on. <laughs> okay. Okay. Uh, oh, you want to do uh, like non-Milano I'm, Pepperidge Farm memory lane? Yeah, I'm going to do it first. Great. As everyone knows, there were tall bags and wide bags. Tall bags and wide bags. Yeah. yeah. And um, you don't call them narrow bags and wide bags because they are taller. Uh, they're tall. Uh, I mean, they are taller. I think of them as being significantly taller. They're actually maybe like an inch and a half taller. Yeah, maybe not even that. Wow. Oh, no, no, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, I think of them being like, uh, I guess, narrow bags and wide bags or, or like like small bags and chunky bags. Small bags and chunky bags. Or, but um, like... Why did the show Lori and I were talking about this yesterday and kept saying the the phrase wide bags and and realized like, wow, this sounds like some kind of like uh, adolescent insult. It really does. Anyway, I remember being really into the Nantucket. Me too. Which was in the wide bag. Yep. And I see that we're going to be tasting a variation on a Nantucket yeah, today. But they didn't even have the original Nantucket, just this double chocolate Nantucket, which sounds good. And the idea of the Nantucket is, so it's a bigger cookie. Uh, all the ones that were in um, wide bags tend to be a little, a little bigger yeah. in um, area than the narrow bags. Yep. And the Nantucket is crunchy and has chunks of chocolate. And I remember the chocolate chunks really well. They were like large and memorable. Yeah, no, I... I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like so many wide bags. Yes. Uh, yeah, a lot of, lot of large and memorable things from the 80s. Would you say the 80s yeah. is when these came out? I yeah. think so. So I got to say, well, well, this is not, not memory lane. Well, okay, so memory lane. Wait, I, I wasn't done with sorry, my memory continue lane. continue memory lane. Okay, the other thing is, do you remember, you probably would have hated this, but uh, there was a type of cookie called a Verona that mm-hmm. had jam in the middle. And I think that some people now just call it like, like the thumbprint cookie, but it's yeah. not. It, it's not really a thumbprint cookie. It's a Verona. It's from the Distinctive Cookies line. But you can still stick your thumb in it, right? But oh yeah, Distinctive but, Cookies. The tall bags are called the Distinctive, distinctive Cookies. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, but the thing is, the the Verona cookies, they always had like a flavored jam in the middle. Yeah. I liked the strawberry. And the thing is, is the jam was never very good. It was always kind of gummy. 
But I like it anyway. Okay, so despite being a bot, you know me so well because okay. I looked at the Verona at the yeah, store and I was like, yeah. eh, I don't want this. I know. <laughs> like I know. the jam, the jam looks like it's gonna be dried up and gummy. It's gummy and dry, <laughs> but it's so nostalgic. Okay, well, I'm sorry I didn't get any, but are I got there, a lot of other cookies. Are there other things that are dried up and gummy and nostalgic for you? Oh, like like dry gummy bears. Yeah, like like stale gummy bears. Do you remember the gummy Coke bottles? Those were yeah. always. Uh, dry, yeah, but nostalgic. Like, had kind of like a like a chalky exterior, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go on. Okay. So I also remember being into Nantuckets and Sausalitos. I think Sausalitos are the ones with uh, macadamia nuts, like chocolate macadamia nut. Oh, I right? thought that was the Maui. The Maui definitely has macadamia okay, so it nuts. seems like it would di- totally be the Maui because that's where macadamia nuts are from. But I think the Sausalito also has macadamia nuts. We may need to look this up. I feel like the Sausalito should have, I don't know, like sea sea salt air. Yeah, the ch- and, yeah and sea salt ex- air cookie. Expensive homes. Okay, I want to, yeah. <laughs> expensive homes in Maui, too, right? Yes. Okay, Pepper, I'm, I'm Googling this to up. Pepperidge Farm. I'd be in Sausalito. Maui. I mean, I'm just, but I'm kind of a Northern <laughs> California person. Yeah, that's true. Okay, Maui is crispy milk chocolate coconut almond. So oh, the coconut, there's no macadamia no in Maui. No macadamia. That's Sausalito. Oh, wow. Okay. You don't remember growing up in Northern California, the macadamia <laughs> groves of Sausalito? Do you not remember that I didn't grow up in Northern California? Well, you say a lot of things. You're a bot. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. What What else were you into as a kid? Okay. Um, we're not We're not talking about Milano's. Um, I think my favorite non-Milano was uh, Brussels, and I did get some Brussels today. Excellent. And um, there, you know, the Bordeaux cookies that are kind of like thin and rectangular and crunchy. Yes, they kind of look like so. The chess The chessmen are like shortbread cookies, right? right. They're I got they're those. rectangular with like an imprint of like a chess figure yeah. in the top. The Bordeaux is also. I think it's maybe the only other rectangular cookie, but yeah. it had like kind of a like a cobblestoney looking top, and, and it had maybe like a dimple down the middle. I think it had something in the middle. So for a while, they made chocolate topped Bordeaux, and those oh. were among my favorite. And I noticed I got the chocolate collection here, and I think okay. it has Bordeaux sandwich cookies, oh. which I'm really really excited about. Yes, okay, this looks great. Um, and that's about it. So I. I, I'm realizing, like, just as we're getting started here, that, like, I used to buy the wide bags pretty often, like, in the 90s, maybe, but, like, really haven't gotten them in a long time. And I think it's because they fall into a cookie uncanny valley for me okay. in that they're too much like the kind of cookies that we make at home, whereas we would never make something like a Milano or Oh, my a God, Matthew. Brussels, Did right? you read the agenda that I wrote? Because you are basically... You're on to something. Okay. No. Well, let, let's get right down to it because, Matthew, this distinction that you're talking about, Pepperidge Farm designed this distinction and you basically just articulated it. Wow. Okay. Yes. Are, are they, do you think they're going to hire me? Away? I mean, you just fired me from the show. <laughs> like, yeah. Pepperidge Farm, yeah. I, need, I need a job. Like, I could be like cook, cookie PR. Yeah, that sounds yeah. great. I mean, I think we're already doing cookie PR. Yeah, that's true. Here, we're, yeah, to be we're fair, but maybe we could get paid by Pepperidge Farm for this. Yeah, maybe we could actually get paid by Pepperidge Farm. Okay. Okay, so you know, uh, by so way, you're saying I'm rehired. By way, okay, fine. 
okay. Uh, it's not very fun doing this show alone. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, this, those few minutes were really rough. <laughs> uh, it was more like seconds. Yeah. Okay. So, Matthew, by way of getting around to talking about the cookies, we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Pepperidge Farm because I have to say, I mean, it's not that I dug deep into our Milano episode back whenever that was. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that when I started doing the research for this episode, none of the Pepperidge Farm history felt familiar to me. So Interesting. I kind of wonder, maybe like I didn't do the corporate history for maybe the Milanos. Maybe we Milanos. didn't do it last time. Maybe we were just like, we're eating cookies. We don't need to know the facts. That seems right. Okay, so anyway, I, I think that you know, people might find this mildly interesting. So Pepperidge Farm was founded in 1937 by Margaret Rudkin who named the brand after her family's farm in Fairfield, Connecticut. Okay. Which, in turn, was named for the pepperidge tree, which I had never heard of until I started typing this. So it's a tree that is uh, much more common on, like, the eastern seaboard uh, and into the Midwest, but it's also called a black tupelo or a black gum tree. All right. Yeah, we were wondering, wife of the show, Lori, and I this morning, whether it was named for an actual farm, and now we know it was. It is. Well, here, here's some more information. So let's talk about Margaret Rudkin for a minute because I do I think it's not exactly typical of like American corporate culture in the 1930s that a woman should have started a company that became like a multi-million dollar thing. Okay, right? I like it. So Margaret Rudkin. We're going to get to a part where she was like union busting, right? Uh, actually, no, I didn't find that. Okay, but maybe good. maybe we have a listener who is going to call <laughs> sure. up and poke holes in Margaret Rudkin. <laughs> I wonder, she's probably already full of holes. Yeah. <laughs> okay. She's been dead for a while. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. wormholes and stuff. Okay. So Margaret Rudkin and I share a birthday. And, and a first name. We do. Wow. It's true. Okay. It's true. September 14th, uh, 1897. Everybody, I'm 125 years old. Wow. I, I mean, know. Not, not yet. 124 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but soon. Happy birthday. This is going to be a big birthday for you. This is your, this is your like, <laughs> carbon jubilee or something. <laughs> carbon jubilee. <laughs> Nice one. Thank you. Okay. But anyway, September 14th. All right. uh, So uh, Margaret Rudkin, myself. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Oh. My Rudkin, myself. (laughs) It's like Mrs. Cubison. It is, yeah. yeah, Okay. All right. Anyway, she grew up in Manhattan and learned to cook from her grandmother, who began teaching her to make cakes and biscuits. She married a stockbroker. This is where the Rudkin name came in. I can't remember what her maiden name was. Anyway, she married a stockbroker. They were pretty well off. Together, they bought land in Fairfield, Connecticut, and they called it Pepperidge Farm. All right. Okay. Now, she was inspired to found the company because they had a son named Mark who had asthma And apparently he had reactions. uh, Wikipedia was not more specific. Okay. Reactions to ingredients in many processed foods. Okay. So, so kind of a classic health food kick kind of, kind of origin story. Uh, And so, so Margaret's first product was a whole wheat bread, which I guess she was so excited about because her kid could eat it. And maybe it was really tasty too, that she offered it to the local doctor who was so enamored with it that he was like i'm gonna sell this to my patients oh so can you imagine if you went to the doctor and the doctor tried to sell you bread right he was like this is what you need to fix all your health problems it took off and soon she was selling it throughout her town and then i guess her husband commuted into new york to work and he started uh basically being a bread mule 
Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and taking bread into the city, and it it took off. And get this: by the late 1940s, so maybe within 10 years of starting to bake this bread, because the company was founded in 1937. Okay. By the late 40s, she had commercial bakery operations in Connecticut, Illinois, and Pennsylvania. I feel like this is all happening like in the shadow of the Depression, right? It, yes, and that's the thing. I mean, even though her family, her stockbroker husband was, uh, you know, they they were relatively insulated from the financial horrors of the Depression, uh, at least compared to most, they did sell a lot of stuff from the farm, like apples and okay. things like that during the Depression to get by. So I think that, you know, uh, I, I have to imagine that the bread and the bakery stuff was not unrelated. Yeah, that makes that. sense. Because I thought, um, like, during the Depression, all the stockbrokers jumped out of windows. I was going to say, right? I mean, I think I, maybe, hopefully they had enough money stashed in, in under the mattress. In the bread box. In yeah. the bread box, yeah. Anyway, on a trip to Europe in the 1950s, uh, our friend Margaret discovered, quote-unquote, fancy chocolate cookies. Okay. That she thought would be wildly popular in the U.S. So she bought the rights to make and sell them. And this became the distinctive cookies line. Do you know, like, which, what is the fancy cookie that she licensed? You know, I could not find that. I want to know more about this part of the story. I know, right? Did she just, like, call up, like, some, like, French bakery and be like, can I license your fancy? Like, why would she think that she had to license it? You know, there's a part of me that wonders, so admittedly, guys. Packaged cookies, not like like bakery cookies, right? So, So she went to Europe and, like, tried some fancy packaged cookies. That must be it. Okay. I mean, here we're bumping up against the uh, the limits of our research, right? Yeah. I mean, when you research things on Wikipedia, you know, there are some holes that have been poked in Margaret exactly. Redkin. Anyway, so according to Wikipedia, the Pepperidge Farm cookies are separated into two lines. All right. Distinctive and farmhouse. I think it's it's become three lines. Hold but, on. Yeah, all right. We're getting there. So again, according to Wikipedia, so there are two lines, distinctive and farmhouse. Each type of cookie in the distinctive line is named for a European city, except the Chessmen. There's no city named Chessmen. <laughs> are you sure? I'm positive. And the distinctives, quote, cannot be readily replicated by home bakers. That's true. Mm-hmm. In contrast, the farmhouse line emphasizes commonplace cookies. Okay, but what if you just made some shortbread cookies and like pr- like dropped some chess pieces onto them? That sounds distinctive to yeah. me. Uh, anyway, the whole idea behind the farmhouse line, again, this is according to Wikipedia, is that anyone could bake these for themselves in their home but kitchen. But they won't. But they won't because they can buy them. Right. This said, if you look at the Pepperidge Farm website, they, they've got like four types of cookies. That, yeah, I was on this website yesterday. It's a good website. I think they did a good job with it. I agree. So there's there's the Milano, which is its uh, it gets its own header on the website. It is a type of cookie now, um, like not just one of many flavors. It's like right. its own thing. It is. So there's the Milano. Then there's the farmhouse, which they describe. So they now describe the farmhouse as thin and crispy. 
uh, but made with simple pantry ingredients. And I think the ones labeled farmhouse are a new line. I think you're right. I don't know what this Wikipedia thing yeah. wasn't. I, I, I sh- anyway. We should edit uh, it. We should edit it. And then the, the third type is chunk cookies. All right. And these tend to have U.S. city and town names. So here we've got the Nantucket. We've got Maui. We've got Sausalito. I Montauk. think they're all like seaside or lakeside. Oh, that sounds right. That sounds right. Yeah. Like, um, yeah. And then there's the distinctive line. But when we were kids, so Farmhouse didn't exist, right? It was basically just the distinctive line and the like U.S. cities wide bags. Right. Yeah. No, they're they're the farmhouses didn't exist when we were kids. They were they were invented <laughs> uh, by by uh, Harrison Ford in the movie Witness. Oh, OK. OK. Oh, wait, that was a barn raising, not a not a farmhouse. But there were farmhouses. I don't even in know that. the movie you're talking about. Oh, it's really good. It's like uh, I mean, it's probably kind of problematic now. But like uh, Harrison Ford is a is a like cop who goes to solve a murder in the Amish community and, oh. and, and like falls in love and stuff. Uh, did you watch True Detective? No, way too scary for me. Oh, okay. In the first season of True Detective, I think, the one with Matthew McConaughey, like, he's incredible in it. I believe there were a lot of barns in that and, and like, some satanic stuff going on in barns. Yeah, I think, so, I think that happens in a lot of barns. Yeah, so uh, clearly that's also where Pepperidge Farm got the inspiration for Farmhouse. <laughs> oh, some sort of ritual. Yeah, thin and crispy. <laughs> yeah, like, how do you think they make the soft, they keep the soft-baked cookies soft, the devil? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, uh, hold on. I just want to wrap up with, our, with yeah, our, yeah. our pal Margie Redkin. So in 1961, she sold the company to the Campbell's Soup Company, and she oh. became the first woman to serve on its board of directors. Is it still? Now? Yeah, it just says Pepperidge Farm, Inc., Norwalk, Connecticut. That could mean anything. Yeah. yeah. This I did find a little bit interesting. So in 1963, her book, The Margaret Rudkin Pepperidge Farm Cookbook, became the first cookbook ever to make the New York Times bestseller list. Interesting. Do you right? think, did it have recipes for all the cookies you can't make at home? Uh, we should find out. Yeah. We should find out. Um, anyway, so, you know, uh, there ends my research. It, uh, really... Not a lot to say there, except actually that was kind of a lot. No, I, no, it was. I learned that I am 124 years old. Yeah, you you contain multitudes. Yep. Uh, you you've come down to us uh, throughout the centuries. You're every woman. It's all in me. You may or may not have pushed your husband out of a window. Dunkin' Cold Coffee can be brewed at home in your Keurig coffee maker with Dunkin' Cold K-Cup Pods. Just brew it hot over ice and enjoy flavor that's crafted to serve cold. The home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I think cheese plate style, we should start with the farmhouse thin and crispy or the chessman butter. Oh, what the chessman. Okay. The chessman, because the farmhouse one, is, it looks a little darker, and I think we should start with like a proper shortbread. That is what, wait, the chessman is supposed to be a shortbread, yeah. right? Okay. There's, Why there's they a write really shortbread on like here? sexy curl of butter on the front of this bag. Oh, that right? is sexy, isn't it? Oh my God. Why didn't they write shortbread? Maybe Maybe people are afraid of shortbread. Okay, you got a pawn. Is that a pawn or a bishop? I got a queen? Yeah. How's that not a king? 
King has a plus on top. Can you tell I have never played chess? Hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. Hold on. I'm letting the flavor bloom. Mm -hmm. It's quite a good flavor. Yeah. I was, Do you think that's a butter flavor? I don't know, kind of. It's not nearly as good as like a Walker shortbread. I was going to say it's not like, as it good. Doesn't have, it doesn't have like that, you know, bloomin' shortbread. <laughs> it doesn't have that bloomin' onion flavor that we look for in a shortbread. What the heck? Bloomin' shortbread? What? Like like you take a bite of a good shortbread and at first you're like, okay, this tastes like a cookie. And then like the, the, the buttery but flavor mm. really develops as you chew. Also, I think of walk bread, walk bread, <laughs> Walker's shortbread as having um, a, a better thickness and so a, a better texture for shortbread. It can't be. This can't be very thick because it comes in a narrow bag. This is too thin for too me. Too thin. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Let's so go let's farmhouse try... thin and crispy butter crisp. I was I was pretty. I found this in a luring. Uh, package. I like the term butter crisp. Wait, hold on, Matthew. Yeah. So, uh, just to be clear, we liked the chessmen. We didn't love them. Uh, yeah, I I'd wouldn't give it buy like them a again. Five out of ten. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. It's better than no cookie, but not better than many cookies I can think of. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's go farmhouse thin and crispy. Now this is a wide bag. And this this flavor is the butter crisp. Yeah. This looks like a ginger oh, snap. This kind looks of nice. Hold on. The back of the bag says something about about my pal Maggie. Mm. I like this a lot. Oh. Mm. Mm hmm. Oh, this tastes like a British flapjack. Mm hmm. It's got this like um, butter, toasted grain. A flapjack's got like oats or something, right? Yeah, flapjack has oats, golden syrup, butter. Oh, this is delicious. This is great. What makes it work is that it's got plenty of salt. Oh, this is a great cookie. Great cookie. Like, yep. I, I can't improve upon that. It's got it's got like kind of a toffee flavor. Oh to my it. god, it's fantastic! Yeah. What's this in this? This is superb. Wow, weird! It has real ingredients in it. Yeah, it says no artificial flavors. Toasty browned butter, touch of brown sugar, real eggs. It straight up tastes like brown butter. Yeah, it's great. Okay. Wow, I New give discovery. that I give that like a ten out of ten. Yeah, I don't. I I want to. I want to like withhold, but I think I might have to agree. Like, this, yeah, no, this is a perfect cookie. Don't don't hold back. Okay, that is a wow. Okay, so that's the farmhouse butter crisp. Cookie. Yeah, there were several other cookies in the farmhouse series wow. that didn't didn't speak to me as much as butter crisp, but I'm now definitely willing to try. Oh my god, that was fantastic! Yeah. I'm losing it a little bit over good here. Good work, Harrison Ford. Wow, good job, Maggie. Okay, where should we go next? I buy. I have this chocolate collection that has seven different cookies. In it, or but should we like do the other bags first? Yeah, okay. maybe we should do the. Let's do the double chocolate Nantucket. Okay. okay, so Matthew was unable to find the regular Nantucket, so we've got the double chocolate. Yeah, never send a man to do chocolate. a robot's job. I, I feel like chocolate chunk cookies were a real. 90s thing? Yeah, I feel like right? it was... Oh, didn't these used to be bigger? I feel like they used to be bigger. Whoa, or maybe these used to be a lot bigger. Maybe we were smaller. <laughs> I think that the chocolate chunk phase, if I had to just guess, I think it came from Mrs. Fields. Mm -hmm. This is okay. Oh, dude, I think this is fantastic. I think I just not, I'm just not a big fan of, of crunchy chocolate chip cookies. It, the, the chocolate chunks are very good. Oh, but isn't the texture of this fantastic? Mm-hmm. What about the chocolate flavor? I think the chocolate flavor is good. Oh. Is, this makes me want like a homemade chocolate chunk cookie that's soft. Mm. No, I feel like this is fantastic. I'm taking this bag home. Oh, that's good. Mm. Okay. You're welcome to it. Mm, I'm going to give that 8.5. 
Are we, I guess I started this. We're doing scores now. Okay, We're doing I'm going to go. Uh, oh, look, it expires five. just before my 125th birthday. Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> I'm five and a half. Oh, my God. Wow. It's, it's just not a cookie I'm going to go back for. Like, I, I'm going to, like, demolish these farmhouse thin and crispy butter crisps. I, I'm just not going to, my hand isn't going to go back into that bag automatically, the chocolate chunk Nantucket. Okay. Now, this is a cookie I know I love. It's Brussels dark chocolate. Okay, so this is our first one. Oh, uh, mm. this is the distinctive line. Mm-hmm. Mm. Now, this is like a, this is heading in the direction of a Florentine, I mm-hmm. think. The, like, flaky crunch is so right on. Oh, my God, what a good cookie. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, I would like more more butter flavor from mm-hmm. that, though. Because the yeah. flavor, what's the flavor doing? The flavor's not doing much. Like okay, we're, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna now complicate our, our rating system. I'm gonna give this one a ten for texture and an eight for flavor. Man, I'd give it like a six for flavor. Okay, I don't think the flavor is very good, but the texture is off the chain, bro. Okay, now we delve into the box, the chocolate collection. Okay. Oh, <gasps> hold on, wait. This is like a Whitman sampler. Hold on, Matthew. The back of the box tells us what everything is. Oh yes. Okay. So I know you got this because I asked you to because it has <laughs> Geneva's in it. Wait a minute, Matthew. There are two that look similar. Okay. I think they're the same. Oh, no. They're the same. Okay. The Geneva has, uh, it's like an oval-shaped cookie. It's open-faced with chocolate on top and, mm. and little bits of pecan. And it says Pepperidge Farm like embossed on the bottom of the cookie. Or at least I assume it does because the half I have here says Epper. Oh, I think this is a very good cookie. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Me too. I don't necessarily feel like I have to try all of these. Even, I mean, one of them is a Milano that obviously we have to skip because it's the law. I'm very excited to try this this Bordeaux sandwich cookie, though. Oh no, we're tasting different cookies. This thing, this show just went off the rails. Oh. Hmm. I liked that thing. I okay, prefer I'm tasting it over the, the Brussels. I'm tasting the the Bordeaux sandwich cookie. It's great as predicted. Okay, now I'm going to try the Orléans. Hmm. It's kind of the opposite of the Brussels. I don't think the texture is quite as good, although it's still good, the but the flavor better. is better. Yeah, I would pick this over the Brussels as well. The Bordeaux is the Bordeaux has better flavor mm-hmm. than the Brussels. It's got this great cobbled texture. Is that what mm-hmm. you said? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh okay, man! I think I'm going to stop eating cookies now. <laughs> yeah, I'm feeling a little mm-hmm. a little cookied out. That was fast. Mm-hmm. So there are other ones in this cookie collection. Tell us about them. The Lisbon. Which looks like it was like um, spritzed out, you know, <laughs> like use, using a spritz cookie. I'm feeling pretty spritzed out about now. And it's dipped halfway in chocolate. The Lido also looks like a spritz cookie. Uh, it's kind of swirled, yeah. at, but and it's a sandwich cookie. A swirled sandwich, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, then there are Milano's, then there are double dark chocolate Milano's. Yeah, I never think to buy a cookie collection because it it's really seems like an entertaining sort of thing, and I'm not very entertaining. No. Um, but, <laughs> but like, if someone put this out just, like, as a cookie selection at a party you went to, I'd be pretty excited, right? You know, I think that... Nobody buys cookie collections anymore. Do you remember like the the Danish butter mm-hmm. cookies that came in the blue tin? They still exist. Those were always more delicious than they had to be. Mm-hmm. And yet nobody pulls those out anymore. I mean, maybe I'm not spending enough time with like senior citizens because maybe I think, they yeah, I do. think you're going to the wrong party. I think I am. <laughs> I think I am. 
I mean, they did have two Pepperidge Farm cookie collections at the store. They did not devote a lot of shelf space to them, and they were on the bottom shelf. So I think you're right. I wish but, these came in a tin. I I'll wish be these honest. came in a tin. If this like, came in a tin, I would I would buy this all the time. I mean, first, if it came in a tin, it would be holiday cookies, first of all, because we know that anything that comes out of a tin is a holiday cookie. What about those Danish butter cookies? Those are holiday cookies because oh, we, we we settled this on the on the holiday cookies episode. Okay, I forgot. We, we got we got it on tape. Okay, I wish they sold some of these. Like I wish they sold these these uh, Bordeaux sandwich cookies in a narrow bag, and also the the Geneva uh, crunchy pecan open face. That's really it's really good. Do you feel confident that the store you went to was like the right store to go to? Did they have a good supply of? Oh yeah, I I think so. And, and like th- those things weren't on the website, which seemed pretty comprehensive. Oh wait, the the regular Genevas and the Bordeaux are not on the website. Oh, the Genevas, I don't think they are. The Bordeaux, yes, but, the the non chocolate ones. Oh, what's the point of that? Well, I mean, it's still a good like nubbly crispy cookie. But then but, you should yeah. just get the farmhouse buttercrisp. But then you should just get the farmhouse buttercrisp. So I gotta say, of all of these, the farmhouse buttercrisp. It Absolutely the best. Is fantastic. Like if you put that out on a like a a tray, people would go nuts over it. Yeah, no, I'm planning to like just put a couple out on my balcony and see like what kind of wildlife it attracts. Yeah. I can't wait to hear about it. Neighbors, wolves, coyotes. Yes. Lizards. Yes. Um, all right. I think I feel like I learned a lot and, and I want to know more. Uh, you know, I feel like my <sighs> My read on the Brussels versus the Orleans versus the Bordeaux sandwich cookie, uh, I, I feel cloudy on these three. I don't know that I would buy the Brussels again. The texture is wonderful, but the flavor was like, eh. Yeah, like, I don't know. We might have to d- return to Pepperidge Farm, like, uh, you know, sequel, uh, where and, and t- taste a couple of these next to Milano's. Because obviously mm. Milano has become their premier cookie. I want to taste a Brussels next to a Milano because okay. I, I do feel like the Milano is is a flavorful cookie. But maybe I'm just kind of building it up in my mind. I mean, I wonder if if we cheese plated wrong. I mean, I feel like the buttercrisp was the most flavorful of all of these. No, I think it was. Maybe except the Geneva because that open face chocolate with the pecans it like starts to melt almost really on contact. Yeah. It's really good. Now, if they can print stuff on one cookie, why don't they print it on all the cookie so you remember which which cookie you're eating i know why they should print the name on there yeah so then you would know which one to buy again next time yeah it doesn't even say geneva on the bottom of the geneva it just says pepperidge farm we knew that (laughs) obviously yeah okay so so our our main critique here is like you need to print more stuff on cookies yeah yeah i still hold that the nantucket is a really solid one but it does feel a little bit like I get that if you like a crispy chocolate chip cookie, that's that's a good example. I don't even think of myself as liking a crispy chocolate chip cookie, but I could see this being a really nice thing to reach for with like a cup of tea or a cup of coffee in the afternoon. Okay, I'll buy that. I mean, any of them, to be fair. Would be, <laughs> yeah, sure. Would be good for that purpose. Um, yeah, we're going to have a tough time doling these out after the episode. Okay, Matthew. Well, um, do we, I don't know. Do we want to make any sort of grand statement? Like, do we yes, think that Pepper- Yes, I do. I want to make a grand statement. I I stand against the robot uh, AI revolution, and that's why you're fired. (laughs) Okay, Matthew, are we ready to, like, go out on a limb and say something crazy? Like, do you think Pepperidge Farm cookies are the best packaged cookie? (sighs) 
That's a good question. I mean, the, in, and we're holding them up against like Oreos, Walkers, Pecan Sandies, um, Nutter Butters, Crispy Boys, Cookie Joys, um, which I just made up. Um, I feel like I feel like I need to start playing oh no, the banjo. The, 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 the banjo. AI is malfunctioning. I feel like I need to start playing the banjo when you say like Crispy Joys, <laughs> Almond Boys, or Crispy whatever. Crispy Joys, Almond Boys. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I think the best package cookie is Crispy Joy's Almond Boys. <laughs> okay, great. We settled it. <laughs> um, I think overall, yes. Like, I, I trust Pepperidge Farm as as a brand more than any other cookie brand. Like, there there were some kind of duds here, but nothing terrible. Like, I've tried some Oreo flavors that were awful. I don't know if that really counts because, like, Oreo is willing to sandwich anything between a couple of Oreo cookies. Mm-hmm. But... I don't know, just just as a matter of like, if someone said like, I'm going to bring you a packaged cookie, you can choose the brand, but I get to choose the the model. You, you choose the make, I'll choose the model. Like, oh, you, you, you would definitely Farm, yeah. go with Pepperidge Farm, right? Yeah. I also kind of love, uh, so the packaging on Pepperidge Farm cookies is really not, uh, they have not made modern packaging. Right. And oh, we didn't even say Keebler. It, it doesn't like press and seal. It doesn't. But I kind that's of that's a really good point. I yeah. kind of love the the just timelessness of it. I mean, these packages have looked this way since we were kids. Yeah, no, it's it's a packaging where like you know I'm I'm a very lazy person, so my inclination is like open the package and then just sort of fold the top over and put it in the in the cupboard, which uh, like will lead to like dead stale cookies like within a couple of days. Yeah, and and Pepperidge Farm is not going to help you out with yeah, that. Yeah, like a stale mulatto is the worst really yeah i know this is not the mulatto episode but yeah stale mulatto like you just don't want to go on after that like um what about like i know that you have a lot of chip clips you, you can't just reach for a chip clip i do reach for a chip clip but you put it on your chips I, I, yes no no i will chip clip these these cookie bags but i don't it feels like a lot of extra work oh i'm sorry <laughs> matthew okay okay all right should we move on to segments let's do all right let's begin with spilled mail today's spilled mail comes from listener rochelle uh who says hi matthew and molly At a recent farmer's market, I purchased some cardamom extract. Cardamom is one of my favorite flavors, and I've become obsessed with a cardamom bundt cake recipe, which I'll share. Did Rochelle share this? Uh, She did share this, yes. I can can put it in the show notes. Great, okay. So my question is two-part. Do you guys know if there's an absolute must-own bundt cake cookbook? And secondly, do you have a favorite but unusual, at least in North America, flavor in your sweets? I also wanted to add that I am a longtime subscriber and I recently gave up alcohol altogether. When your alcohol-free beer episode aired, I was still in the struggling to admit my alcohol consumption had become problematic stage. So I wanted to ignore that episode because I was still trying to ignore my troubles. I'm three weeks sober today. Oh my gosh, this is fantastic. I know, I love it. And that episode is now an important favorite to me. So thank you both. 
you guys have been faithfully by my side through the hardest times in my life and continue to be there for me as I healed and now embark on my sober journey. With love and respect, Rochelle. Isn't that wonderful? And yes, I did get permission from Rochelle who said, please feel free to read the whole thing because it might be helpful to someone else. And I hope it is. Oh my gosh. Congratulations on your, on your, gosh, you're probably now many more weeks sober than just three because I know we got this email a couple weeks ago, maybe. Anyway, oh my gosh, this makes me really happy. Ah, thank you. Okay. To answer your question, I don't know of an absolute must own Bundt Cake Cookbook. And, and wait, I, number two, actually, no, you answered that. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't know of a, of a must own Bundt Cake Cookbook either, but I know someone who does. Uh, is, so, it, is it mother of the show, Judy Amster? Yeah, Motzja. Uh, <laughs> or Motzja, if, because. Uh, uh, because it should be pronounced in like a Swedish way. Um, so I asked uh, my mom, who is a uh, cookbook expert uh, and uh, and great home baker, what is the best Bundt cake book? And she did not hesitate. She said it is Ultimate Pound Cakes by Phyllis Hoffman de Piano, which is a great name. And uh, so it's not that book is not entirely Bundt cakes, but is the best Bundt cake book. Okay, so that's Ultimate Pound Cakes by Phyllis Hoffman de Piano. Okay, so let's talk about what is what is a flavor that is still uh, mm. l- found less often in North American desserts, but that you love. I have a oh. couple of ideas. Let's see here. You know, I love the flavor of almond extract and like frangipane. Yeah, which I think is still you know well it, it's not it's not like chocolate chip cookies over here yeah. or ginger cookies. I absolutely love it. Um, and then the other thing I would say is I do love a cardamom bun. Oh, yeah. my gosh. A cardamom bun, especially sometimes if it has almond paste in it. Oh, that's really good. Okay. So I'm going to name one that really like everybody loves at this point, uh, but just came to mind, which is salt. Any Anything with like flaky, crunchy salt in a dessert, like I'm always there for it. Okay. Um, whether that's salted caramel, but also but also like salted chocolate or, uh, you know, just just any any dessert could be made better with a little like malt and flake salt or something like that. Um, the other one that came to mind is kinako. Have you ever had anything mm-hmm. with kinako? Kinako mm-hmm. is toasted soybean powder and is very popular in Japanese desserts. I know you're shocked. I'm mentioning something that's popular in Japanese desserts, and it has yeah. I thought for sure you were going to say matcha. <laughs> I just got you know Loacker Quadratini yes, cookies. Yes. I just got their new matcha flavor, and it is so good. Really? Yes. You, wow! I was okay. going to say you can have one, but we just ate seven cookies. Yeah, I can't. Um, I can't do it. Anyway, uh, Kinako, it's it's a soybean, toasted soybean powder. So it's got a little, it's not super sweet in and of itself. Um, and it's got, so it's got like a little bit of sweet, savory thing going to it. It's because it's a toasted powder. It has kind of like a, like a throaty texture to it that I really enjoy. So like one mm. way you might see it is like, like a, uh, kind of chewy sweet like a watabi mochi something like that mm-hmm. that or or regular mochi that's tossed in kinako mm-hmm. um and uh okay. like so so you get this nice like like powdery uh like toasty uh warmth before you start chewing and then kind of melts in as you chew really good mm. oh that sounds great all right thank you listener rochelle matthew do you have a now but wow i do This is not a new book, but it's new to me. So as you know, because I've mentioned it on the show 
pretty much every episode since it happened. Uh, there's a new Korean grocery uh, in in my neighborhood. It's called M2M. They were kind enough to name it after me and Molly. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I have been trying to do more Korean cooking. And like Korean cooking is not not something that I just kind of like you know, have the repertoire for yet. Mm -hmm. And so I've been getting a lot of Korean cookbooks from the library. And my favorite by far is Cook Korean by Robin Ha. And if you if you go online, this book is extremely well reviewed. It is a comic the the uh, the author is a comic artist who also wrote a really good graphic novel um, that called I think it's called Almost American Girl that I really liked but uh, but this book is uh, it is a comic uh, like a graphic cookbook um, that has like a uh, a recurring character who teaches you how to cook many. Uh, popular Korean home cooking dishes and just everything I've made from it has been has been really good and like I just kind of want to cook everything from it and the art is beautiful. What have you made from it? Okay, so I've made uh, the japchae recipe. Okay. Um and Is that use like sweet potato noodles? Sweet potato noodles. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And her bulgogi recipe is great and like I have I have like a bunch of things just like bookmarked that I'm planning to make. I want to I want to get more into Korean soups and stews. Do you feel like you're going to go out and buy this book? Yeah, I'm going to go out and buy this book. Oh, I think I want this too. I think that uh, this would be a good gift for my spouse. Yeah, perhaps. Um, I think I think so. Yeah, and just like like the more the more Korean home cooking I do, the more I want to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. All right. So that's right. Cook Korean by Robin Ha. Well, our producer is Abby Circatella. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can chat with other Spilled Milk listeners on Reddit at reddit.com slash r slash everything spilled milk. Yeah, probably some of them are humans, some are bots, and, and probably some are, are like uh, lovable woodland creatures. You just don't know because it's the internet. If you put out some, um, if you crumble up some like Pepperidge Farm <laughs> Buttercrisp cookies, though, like and, on and Reddit and sprinkle them, on the them Reddit. out, uh-huh. you will get o- only the finest in, in humans and AI coming to you to eat your your cookies and chat. All right. I'm Matthew Amster Burton. I'm Molly Weisenberg. I'm going to sneeze. <laughs> oh, my God. Those were such cute sneezes. Oh, thanks. Um, <laughs> Dunkin' cold coffee can be brewed at home in your Keurig coffee maker with Dunkin' cold K-cup pods. Just brew it hot over ice and enjoy flavor that's crafted to serve cold. The home with Duncan is where you want to be.